0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and
1: principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It is wonderful to have your company. My name's David Frizzell and in this episode, we together are going to hone in on one of the most pivotal aspects of life inside an organization. You guessed it, it's meetings. When was the last time you felt bored in a meeting as though it was a waste of your time wondering why you were even there in the first place, wondering what the purpose was, wondering if someone was going to take charge and give it some structure? (laughs) I bet. Chances are, and this holds up statistically, chances are the last meeting you went to was like that and the one before and probably even worse, the next one you go to. The real question I should have asked was when was the last time you went to a great meeting? A meeting at which everyone turned up on time. A meeting at which the agenda was clear, the process smooth and purposeful. A meeting at which all the attendees were relevant and tuned in. When was the last time you went to a meeting like that? What percentage of all your meetings could you describe in that way? We're really bad at meetings. We know it from experience. We know it from data. We're sloppy, unprepared, uncommitted, distracted. And it's amazing because for so many of us, for so many of you listening, meetings are where you and we and I spend a great deal of our time. How have we let them get so bad? Why are they so bad? What's it costing us? And most importantly of all, what can we do about it? Donna McGeorge is a speaker and consultant. Plus, she's the author of a brand new book, The 25 Minute Meeting. I invited Donna on the show to answer all my questions and help you fix the meetings in your world. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Donna McGeorge. Donna McGeorge, welcome to the Team Guru podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Look, my pleasure, Donna. Your book is terrific. I loved it. I love the topic. It's one of my top three topics. People on this podcast have heard me talk many times about the three evils of the workplace and meetings, back to back meetings, and bad meetings is number one. And you've written a book all about that. Look, through all the work that you do around productivity and helping managers and leaders, Why is it, Donna, that you settled on this concept of 25 minute meetings as the big one? The one that you chose to write your book on, the one that you do a lot of speaking about?
0: Look, it was really because I felt like this was the biggest pain point that people would talk to me about when I'd be in organizations. And so anytime I'd ask the question around what's your biggest time waste, or you know, if we were doing a a productivity session meetings came up just every single time yeah. and so I then started to do a little bit of research around well is that validated by what others are finding and so I went to places like Harvard Business Review etc and had a look at what they had to say about it Yeah. and it turns out what I was hearing anecdotally and what the researchers find is that about 65% of meetings are a waste of time and that's more than half the time you're spending at work. So it's I started to, I know, right. And so for me, it was like people are work is hard enough, yeah. without having to waste a chunk of yeah. it yeah. in meaningless, hopeless meetings, you know.
1: And then as you say in your book, of course, there's the opportunity cost of all of that. Not only are we sitting there being frustrated, thinking, I could be doing so many more things with my life than sitting right here in this room wasting time, We're also delaying the other work that we've got to get done before we can go home. I spend a lot of time with leaders and senior leaders, and it seems in some organizations that the higher you go, the more likely you are to spend your day in back-to-back-to-back meetings. And It boggles my mind how such an obviously poor practice can be replicated across organizations and across industries. Look it's it's a it's a fantastic topic because it's so important to so many of us. Let's break it down. I I'll, I'll tell you the chapters I'm going to ask you questions through Donna so so you the listener know and and we know where this is headed. First of all, I just want to talk about the nature of meetings, why we're so bad at them, some of the the main pain points. Then I want to talk about what are the benefits of fixing them and and we you know we know intuitively the benefits, but you do a really nice job of describing them. In your book, so I'll get you to talk through some of those, and then, of course, we're going to finish with the big one: how do we fix meetings? So let's start at the top of all that, Donna. What are bad meetings? What are the characteristics of bad meetings? Why are we so bad at them?
0: You know, I reckon your listeners right now could probably rattle off ten things right now that they find are bad, and they're going to be the standard things like. They start late. People are not prepared. They're not present in the meeting because they're being distracted by technology. The wrong people are in the meetings. The right people don't show up to meetings. There's no agenda or or perceived purpose. All of those things are are pretty standard around what really, um, you know, is bad about it. And Why I reckon it happens is because it's the default setting that we're on. Mm. So when it comes to, you know, you and I having to have a conversation together or you and I needing to get some outcome, the default is let's book a time to have a meeting. That's just the default setting. And so what I suggest is straight up, before you do anything, before you even read on in my book or, or go any further is the question you ask yourself is, What's the reason that I need to have this interaction with this individual or with this group of people, and could that be done some other way? and so whilst I'm not an advocate of filling up people's inboxes, sometimes great quality emails can substitute for having to pull six or seven people into a meeting, or you know five or ten minute phone calls are better than having to have people come into a room together, and so straight up it's it's just because it's the default setting, it's how we think communication and business is done.
1: It's interesting, that that idea about the default setting. You answered one of my questions. I was going to ask, what are the alternatives? So, An alternative to a meeting, to having that as the default for getting information or having a conversation, is a a well-crafted email or a phone call or an organic conversation in the hallway or at someone's desk. But I'm also interested in, why is it our default? What is it about meetings whacking something on the calendar, sending an invite to someone, what is it about that that draws us to it? Is it the finality of it? Is it because I'm more likely to get your attention with something formal like that? It's locked in your diary and we're robotically in the habit of turning up to meetings, however late, but we are robotically in the habit of just acknowledging the power of meetings that sit in our calendar.
0: You know, I wish it was that amazingly complicated and, and, thaw- and thoughtful. But, but frankly, Are you flatter me. Yeah, it's actually laziness and simplicity. Right. And so the easiest thing to do is to say, you know, you and I need to have a meeting about the Johnson project. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so let's book a meeting about the Johnson project. And you and I both go, yep, that's fine. Yep. But in that moment, we haven't really said what's the outcome of that meeting about the Johnson project. And it could just be simply that I need to get from you the budget for phase three of the project. Yeah. And so an email that says, can you give me a detailed outline of what you're planning to spend for phase three could be just as powerful as you and I going into a meeting for this nebulous, you know, topic of the Johnson project. So part of it is just because we're what accustomed to and and it's easy. And then there's something about, dare I say it, there's something about entitlement around this. So, you know, I feel important if I host a meeting. Mm. I'm entitled to call people into a meeting. So first of all, I'm entitled to call people in. And secondly, I'm somewhat entitled to have to attend lots of meetings because I feel like I need to have my finger in all the pies that are going on in the organisation. And so it's this weird blend of default entitlement and a little bit of just laziness hmm. around not thinking about other ways of doing things.
1: Well, you've, you've already touched on so many things. I could talk to you for an hour and a half about the things that you've just talked about. You mentioned a little while ago about turning up late. and This is something that boggles my mind. Anywhere that I ever work as a consultant, I always bring this up. And In fact, I, I start by doing it in any, any workshops that I have or leadership programs that I might run, where when we start the day or come back from breaks, I'm really careful to explain to the group, hey, this is a leadership thing, and we said we'd be back at 20 past 10, and here we are at 10.23, 10.24, 10.28, still straggling back into the workshop. Not only is it a waste of four minutes multiplied by the number of people in this room, it's a really bad leadership look. And for that to happen to me so regularly in leadership programs, it's something that I just can't let go. And I feel like by stating the obvious, by stating something that I don't feel there's a really very solid comeback, I feel like I'm the first person that's ever said it to some people, as if being called on coming to, to a meeting five minutes late is just something they think they're entitled to do. It, it still baffles me.
0: Look, it baffles me too. And I don't know whether it's because I was just raised by a Navy man, and so <laughs> yes. for us, punctuality yes. was always a thing, yep. or whether it's because we're consultants, so- you know the thought of you or I, because same, same, right? So I run workshops. I wouldn't dream of putting myself in a situation where I could be late. late. Oh, it, it's, just, it, it just would give never me heart attacks. Enters my head, absolutely. And so I, because I have a similar situation. You know, you know, I talk to people about what does lateness, what does it mean in your organisation, mm. and they just say, oh, it's just how how things are done. And yeah. it's interesting because I had a conversation today with another colleague. And he has an interesting view of this, and he says that for every minute that you're late, whatever percentage that is of an, of an hour, mm. is it's probably having that same percentage of impact on your results. Yeah. So typically, people are ten minutes late for meetings, yeah. or fifteen minutes late for meetings. So let's say fifteen. It's maths are easier. That's twenty-five percent of yep. that hour, right? Yep. And so it's possible that. Just that as a measure could be why you're not getting the great results you might want. And I thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about it. Well, because but logic ultimately- would
1: tell us that if if you're willing to be 25% late for a meeting, then that, that's not the only area in your professional life where you're willing to be slack.
0: Correct. Yeah. That's what I think it comes back to. And yeah. so for me, it feels like a a keystone habit. Mm. And I you know I talked to a lot of organizations that say things like we need to build trust in the organization. Mm. And you know in the moment we start talking about punctuality they almost dismiss it yeah. as if it's it's okay to yeah. be late that's not what trust is about and I mm. actually disagree you know respectfully disagree I think punctuality is a fundamental element of building trust and respect in an organisation because it says I respect my time and it says I respect yours and the topic at hand. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation.
1: Look, I couldn't agree more and and you wrote something in your book about a, a piece of advice your dad gave you. You you work out which train will get you there on time, and then you catch the train before it. I laughed when I read that because that is almost exactly what I do. That's how I think when I've got to be somewhere. I The, the idea of being late just rubs me up the long, wrong way. And I've got to I've got to admit, when I'm running a meeting or waiting for something and people are straggling in late, it really annoys me. So look, I, I don't think we're alone there. I think people listening to this right now are nodding in agreement because it's frustrating for many. Some of the other things you mentioned, I just want to mention them briefly. You talked about a well-structured email can often be a smart and effective alternative to booking a meeting rather than it being the reflex just to default to a meeting. I had a wonderful podcast a little while ago with Scott Stein, episode 86. Mm. He talked us through the art of crafting a, a beautiful email, and that's very much worth listening to. He talks about leadership hacks, and one of the ones that really resonated with me and jumped out at me was his leadership, his email hack. Now, and and another thing you reminded me of, actually, this whole thing reminds me of a conversation I had with Dermot Crowley, episode 82. Dermot talks about organizations and teams being either in a state of friction or a state of flow. And everything you just described there about poor meetings puts us in a state of friction. People not accepting the meeting invite, but turning up people turning up late people accepting the meeting invite but then not turning up someone calling a meeting but not having an agenda or a, a sound process or even an objective for the meeting all of that puts us in a state of friction as an organization and those feelings that culture those habits spill in to everything we do as a result and as you mentioned before we're just losing so much effectiveness and productivity. Look, Donna, I'm sorry, you've got me on a passionate one. I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing far too much talking. I have another question before we move out of the nature of bad meetings. Well, I have two questions, actually. Why have we allowed it to drift so badly into such an unhealthy state? And And why is it ubiquitous across industries, across organizations? Surely, if these things are so bad, they're costing us so much in productivity and boredom points. Why is it that in every organization I go to, meetings are a mess.
0: Do you know, it's funny you talk about what it costs. So I haven't seen any studies based on Australia, but certainly out of the US, they estimate that for, for most organizations, it's costing them about $35 million a year in lost productivity. Wow! So that's a big chunk of change. That's, yep. that's the first thing just that, that you prompted me of. And look, I just think it's because we, two things, we're so busy that we don't have time to stop and think about a new and different way. Yeah. It's just easy to say, you know what, let's just have a meeting, yeah. versus to use either Scott Stein or Dermot Crowley's stuff to craft a better email, mm. whilst it may feel like it's a bit more effort up front, we get that the long term is a much greater time saving, right? But in the moment when I'm busy and I've got back to backs and I'm and I am flat out, and there's not, I don't know, one organization where managers aren't being asked to do more with less all the time. And so to, you know, the example that I'd use, it's a little bit like me. I'm I'm a PowerPoint user. I've used PowerPoint for years, despite the fact that I have an Apple Mac and there's this beautiful application called Keynote.
1: Oh, I'm a Keynote man, Donna.
0: Well, there you go, right? And everyone keeps telling me that and I should use Keynote. So then I sit down I think, right, I'm about to do a presentation. I'll do it in Keynote. Yeah. But within five minutes, I'm like, oh, it's taking me too long to yes. learn it. It's the learning it's cost. to go back to PowerPoint yep. that I know and I can do it fast. Yep. And so I think that's why we're in this rut is because, yes, I get that it'll take time to learn a different way, but do you know what? In the moment, I just don't have time. Next yep. time. Yep. Next presentation, yep. I'll do keynote. Yep. Next time, I'll do an, a better crafted email. But yep. for now, I've just got to have the meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yep. And, the, and the, the beautiful irony, the neat and tidy irony that – We're too busy in bad meetings back to back to spend time thinking about how we can do better meetings to give ourselves more time. What what a horrible irony and, and a reality about the world. All right. So I think we've convinced everyone. I think everyone listening gets that meetings are bad, that we've all been part of them. In fact, being part of a good meeting is so rare that we can probably remember them because of their rarity. Whereas the bad meetings just kind of blend into this one big black mess of a hole that sucks our time. Tell us a little more then about the benefits of fixing them. Before we get to how to fix them and the effort that, it, that we'll have to go to and the understandings we'll have to reach, what is it that we will really get if we were to fix our meetings?
0: First of all, if you were to do them in the way that I'm suggesting, so let's just go straight up with 25 minutes, mm. which is the title of the book straight up, we're going to save ourselves a chunk of time. And I don't know anyone that would ever say, no, thanks, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want my time back. Time. Yeah, I don't want my time back. No, I'd rather waste a whole bunch of you know time. No one ever says that. So yeah. straight up, we get time back. And one of the reasons that I, I kind of came to this place around that, around the benefits of this, is I sat in a few meetings in an organization I was working at, and I noticed that there was one particular manager who would walk in, sit down, and say – Hey, everyone, I've got a hard stop at 11.30. And everyone would just go, oh, okay, and we'd get straight into the meeting.
1: Structure all of a sudden. Straight in, right
0: in there. And so for me, I thought the benefit of focusing more on how we're doing our meetings, so first of all, if if we're making them shorter and we're thinking about it and being more conscious about how, how and why we're doing meetings, the knock-on effect is the quality of the meeting improves and the interaction improves. It, of course, that cannot not affect how we are as a team generally in our productivity and trust and relationships, et cetera. But we just get the work done. Yeah. And for me, that's the big thing. I, you mentioned before, you know, people who spend time in back-to-back meetings and then have to spend they, – they go home and they spend five minutes saying a quick hello to their family mm. and then spend the whole night doing emails. Yeah. For me, it's like, well, what if you could do your emails – the back half of the day yeah. because you've managed to recover that time. So that's, that's for me, the biggest gain is you get to do your work at work and it's good quality work.
1: Hey, you know what I was thinking as I read through your book, Donna, was all this sounds great and it's so theoretically sound and so intuitively sound, but I'm guessing that some senior leaders that I know would say, look, if I reduced my standard meetings from 60 minutes to 25 minutes... I would just get more meetings. My mm. calendar would just fill up. I have back-to-back meetings already, and I have people who either can't get a meeting and find another way or, or double up on someone else's meeting or just wait for a few weeks to see me. So if I started being more efficient, I would just clog my day up even more. So maybe for some people, they're thinking, look, it's a bit boring. 60 minutes is probably too much, but I'd rather it just takes the pressure off my day just a little bit.
0: I completely agree. And in fact, I I can't remember specifically where I said in the book, this is not permission mm. to double the amount of meetings uh-huh. you have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not permission to do that. Yeah, The real idea is that you're halving the amount of time you're spending in meetings. Now, I don't know enough people who – say, you know, so so for you and I, for example, as independent consultants, we may be able to have a little bit more control, maybe, of our diaries, mm-hmm. maybe our demands yeah, are less. Sometimes. So maybe we live in this crazy world where we get to have more control, who knows. But I know for me, I decide in my day how many meetings I can have in a day mm-hmm. or a week or whatever. And once they're done, I consider myself booked out. Yeah. And I just don't think enough particularly CEOs, have that kind of mindset. Yeah. So rather than saying, oh, my God, I'm going to end up just with twice the amount of meetings, it would be I'm going to have the same amount of meetings. So consider myself booked out once I have six 25-minute meetings or yeah. however many it might be and instruct the team and, and communicate effectively that says, I only do two or three meetings a day. What, pick a number. That doesn't really matter. And still have the flexibility so that if, you know, a big emergency goes down, we can. But ultimately this I hate using this word because it so takes me back to my navy dad days but this is a little bit about discipline.
1: Yeah. You it know is. you're the
0: person that accepts the meetings or yeah. sets up the meetings. You yeah. get to decide. Yeah, that's right. And and if you use this power for evil, fingers in inverted commas and end up with back to back 25-minute meetings, well first of all at least you'll probably have a 5-minute gap between them yeah, at least that's you can go to the bathroom and get a coffee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's not that's not using this methodology well, is what I would say.
1: You make so many good points. Actually, there's something I was going to say earlier. Do you, do you get the impression sometimes with people who kind of sworn in uh, late to a meeting because they've been somewhere really important and they just couldn't get out of it? It was such a big discussion. There's kind of a pride in being late. And sometimes in some organizations, I feel that's fed from the top because that pride in being late is kind of, I'm mimicking the CEO or the or the executive general manager, or whoever, who, who's often late to meetings themselves, and is willing because of their seniority to leave a room full of people waiting. Like so many things, it's what we see. It's the the real culture of the organisation. It's there's unwritten ground rules of the organisation that say it's so. Not only is it okay to be late to a meeting, it's actually pretty cool because it's it shows how important you are. It shows how like the CEO you are.
0: You know, of course, it all starts at the top. There's Mm. no question about that. And there is something about what is perceived to be a mark Mm. or a a symbol of importance Mm. in an organization. So as a trainer, I used to watch this, you know, if I come in late, I'm mildly important. Mm. If I Come in late and then get interrupted by phone call. I'm a bit uh, more important. Yeah, super. If I come in late, interrupted by phone call, and then get pulled out of yeah, a session, yeah. I'm supremely yeah. important. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's so much of this that is um, led from what are the symbols, you know, uh, from a culture perspective yes. that indicate importance. And you know, I'm too important to show up to your meeting is definitely you know a status kind yeah. of thing.
1: Wouldn't it be nice, CEOs and you know, and, and the CFOs and whoever else you might think of as senior, they're very careful about the dollar. They're very careful about spending large amounts of money. Wouldn't it be great to be able to hold a mirror up to them and say, "Hey, you know that behaviour I've just watched you you do over the last few days, where you turn up late, you leave meetings. You realise that people are mimicking that, and it's costing you X number of dollars every year. Mm-hmm. So, h- how, how do you like that? How, how are you feeling about your behaviour now?
0: Well, and you know, whether it's about meetings or anything else, mm. that's that's it, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's what leadership's about. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, how are you showing up, and how are other people? And, and you know, I often say to leaders, you are being watched so yes. carefully, yes. and everything you do is being tracked yes. and reported yes. and, and mimicked yes. within the organisation. Yes,
1: but look, we're putting a lot of the blame on senior leaders, and that and that is true. It's what we observe, but of course, people can choose. To mimic that, or they can choose to be respectful and courteous and effective and smart and organized and all of those other things that go with running and being on top running good meetings and being on time. So let's get to that, Donna. Talk to us about your concept around the twenty-five minute meeting. Why twenty-five minutes? What are the benefits of the twenty-five minute meeting and, and how do we get there?
0: Well, and it's interesting you say we shouldn't be blaming CEOs, because one of the bits of pushback I get and you've probably heard this as well, is people say, if only leadership would do blah, then Mm. life would be better. If only the culture could change, then life would be better. Out of my control. Uh, Exactly. And so when I was writing this book, I was thinking, I don't want this to be, we have to change the whole culture of an organisation to fix meetings. I wanted this to be a book about, you know, I'm a manager in an organisation, I can pick this up and I can immediately apply this to the meetings that I have some measure of control over. Yeah. And so that's where I pitch this. So if you're waiting for someone very senior to fix this, yeah. you'll be waiting a really long yeah. time. So that's the first thing. Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organisation.
1: It's really interesting you say that. We're not going to try and fix the organisation to fix meetings. But you know what? You might almost fix the organizational culture by fixing meetings Absolutely. because it's such a, a pivotal part and it sends such strong symbols. You know, if if in a really committed way, everyone senior in the organization wrapped up meetings at 25 past, if everyone senior in the organization turned up to, to meetings at, at 9.58 for a 10 o'clock start, can you imagine the, the message that's sending? Can you imagine how quickly people would start to mimic that behavior and the obvious knock-on effects it would have for getting our time back and being able to do our other work, the quality of the work that we do, the interaction that we have with our peers. As you've said, it would be an amazing symbol. You can almost I feel a strong argument for, for influencing the culture of an organization by fixing the meetings.
0: Oh, totally. For me, it's again one of these keystone things. Mm. Because it's something we do every day, yeah. it's I always say organisations are complex, mm. but it's not that hard yeah. to do things well and make, and make a change. And, you know, turning up on time, being present, you know, being prepared, they're not hard things to do, and yet they have such a profound impact. But look, to answer your question around why 25 minutes. minutes—yeah. So this for me was two things. I started to experiment myself a long time ago on how long did meetings need to be and how long were we actually being effective in a meeting. So first of all, anyone who's thinking, "Oh, I don't think I could, you know, do 25-minute meetings." I put it to you <laughs> that you probably already are. Yeah. Because you're already you've got people who come late, people who waste a bit of time, people who haven't read the agenda and having to have be reminded of yeah. stuff, so having to rehash stuff, yeah. a bit of waffling, someone goes off track. So in a one hour meeting at best you might be getting 25 minutes of quality time. Yep. So if you immediately start to tighten things up, then it's quite easy to do a 25 minute meeting.
1: I love your analogy by the way yep. about Michelangelo's David. He yes. said David was already there in that block of stone. I just had to chip away the bits that weren't him. That's the analogy around the meetings. we're doing 25 minute minute meetings. It's just that we're wasting so much time at the beginning and at the end. We just need to chip away at that stuff by being organised and all of those other things to get to the 25-minute meeting. Yeah,
0: chip away the bits that aren't useful, chip away the bits that aren't David. Mm. Absolutely. And so then I thought, I better go and check with the history and research and go and find out what other people think about timings. And so as far back as Frederick Winslow Taylor and his time in motion studies, up to someone like Francesco Cirillo, who did the work on the Pomodoro method around... Mm periods of time that we can focus, yes. there was consistent messages around intense focused periods of time followed by a break. Mm-hmm. And so 25 minutes was the, the number that consistently kept getting landed on around we can concentrate, we can focus, we can manage distractions. And it's also not a – it's a chunk of time that feels doable. Yeah. So there was some something really interesting about that that feels doable. And then, of course, there was also a bunch of studies around the diminishing returns on productivity on time. So, the longer you give someone to do something, they will take that time.
1: Parkinson's Um, law.
0: That's it, right? And so, the example I use in the book that you might remember was, you know, if if you suddenly find out that you're getting visitors to your house, how quickly can you clean your house? And (laughs) now we can all do that in
1: 15 minutes flat.
0: But if you set it you know, how long does it take you to clean your house on a weekend when yeah. there's no
1: pressure? Two hours. Three,
0: four, two, yeah. yeah, three hours that's or whatever right. to clean your house. Yeah. So that's why I landed on the number. And, and of course, my own personal experience is I haven't run a meeting that's been just what I would call a general meeting. We're not talking about doing a five-year strategic plan, right? This is not big stuff. This mm. is a general meeting. So a sales meeting, a consulting meeting. I've done coaching sessions. And I've tested all of this around 25 minutes and consistently it just seems to work.
1: All right. Tell us how to do it. We've got a few minutes left. Give us the yep. nuggets that our listeners can take away tomorrow and start doing.
0: All right. Things like being setting some ground rules about punctuality. Like mm. if you apply the same punctuality rules that you currently have for one-hour meetings to 25-minute meetings and you're going to lose half your time. Mm. So in the meetings that you control, straight up, we're going to say, A, we're going to do 25-minute meetings, and we've got to start them on time. Yeah. And so just So what do you do if that people happens. are late? So I just shut the door and we get started.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I
0: think you have to. And there's a there's a one manager I talk about in my book who, locks who the would doors. lock the door, and it was yeah. a glass, had a little glass panel <laughs> in it, and he would lock the door and there'd be people trying to get in, and he'd say, like he'd just tap his watch and say, too late. Yeah. And and people quickly learned that, because this is the laziness, right? First of all, I know I can be late. Yeah. I know that if I am not part of the decision making, I can probably complain enough that there'll be another meeting. So I get to be part of the decision making if I feel entitled to do that. And so what he set up was, if you're late, you're not let in and B, whatever decision whoever's in the room makes, makes. And if that's just one or two people, they make the decision and we move on and there's no do-overs. Wow. And so there's a bit, again, I come back to the discipline word. I wish I didn't have to, but there it is. So there's that. I think if, if you're a manager listening to this or, or, or a leader listening to this, I'd be saying, first of all, what is the outcome I'm really looking for? And From, from, the, really, from
1: the specific meeting itself?
0: Well, well, just from this moment, right? So yeah. what I need, let's say I need the budget numbers for the Johnson Project Phase 3. That's yeah. what I need. Yeah. Do I need a meeting for that? Is there another way I could get that information? And if the answer is, yes, I need the meeting, that's okay. Go ahead and book the meeting. And then then be very clear on with the invite, rather than saying we're talking about the Johnson meet, uh, Johnson project, mm. you say, I look, I need to talk about budget numbers for phase three. Here's the spreadsheet. Can you please review? And so that in our 25-minute meeting, we're just talking about the discussion, not having to present, rehash, death by PowerPoint. Yeah. So be really clear on, you know, why am I, what is it that I need? Is the meeting the right thing? That's the next question. Sending out clear purpose. By the end of this meeting, what do I hope to have happen is really cool, and then making sure that I have the right people. And so, a couple of questions that simple questions we ask ourselves are: at the end of this meeting, what do I hope will have had happen? What, what do I hope is going to happen? And secondly, who are the people who are going to give and or get value mm. from this? Yeah. So who's got the numbers, or who needs the numbers?
1: Yeah. You talk in your book about the setup, the show up, and the stepping up which is some really nice structure, and you've, you've covered it there, one of the things I really enjoyed hearing, you mentioned there the purpose, and that's wonderful. That's about the setup, having having a purpose, but you also talked about the process, and you you delineated between agenda and process. Often people blame the agenda when we don't get the outcome from a meeting that we want. But in your mind, it's not always the fault of the agenda. Sometimes it just comes down to the process. Tell us what a process is in a meeting and why it's so important.
0: Sure. You know, I completely agree with my own words. (laughs) I agree with me. Yeah, I agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We blame the agenda, but actually Mm. it's not the agenda. You're right. It's because we didn't have a clear process. Mm. And so this comes down to what a lot of people, you know, a lot of leaders don't think of this as their day job. Hmm. They don't think of how I facilitate yes. a meeting. They don't
1: see it as a, as a facilitation thing, do they?
0: And they don't see it as a skill that they hmm. need. Yes, And it totally is.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's as simple as, you know, the most common process people use in meetings is brainstorming. So we come in and we say something like, you know, phase three of the Johnson project, what are some of the budget issues we need to think about? And then the extrovert's or the people yeah. who have the most passion for the project are the yeah. ones who are going to speak up yeah. and they'll run, the pro- they'll run the meeting and it's their stuff.
1: And that's lazy and process.
0: And it is lazy process. But if we think about, right, so what is it I'm wanting to have happen? So there's a bit of pre-work that can be done with that. So here's the information I need you to bring. And then we think I'm going to spend, I don't know, I'm going to give everyone a minute to just get us up to speed on their version of what's happening in the Johnson project to continue <laughs> the example. And then, from that, we're going to say what are then the key issues that we need to focus on, so we'll vote on that so right there, I've done a process of individual contribution mm. then we've done a voting process on what are the key issues, and then we'll have a we can have an open brainstorm discussion about what are the next steps, and then someone captures that so things that, pr- processes that people don't think about are you know, what if we did post-it notes instead? If we've got a large contingent of introverts in the room, right. they sometimes like to process their thinking first. So, of course, sending them out the questions in advance is going to help. And then in the moment, rather than just do a verbal brainstorm- yeah, Where the extroverts a, win? Absolutely, every single time. We do a written brainstorm and then we use that to cluster and share and look for patterns and and that just that's process. Thinking about if I've got an agenda item that says we need to understand the budget Restraints. The process is how do we figure out that? How do we answer that question? So yeah, and it's not just okay, everyone. How do we do the budget? No, it's thinking about a process we use.
1: And actually, I want we we need to end. We've run out of time, Donna, but I do want to end on this point that that idea that if you are calling a meeting, you are in charge of either doing it yourself or making sure someone is actively facilitating the meeting. They don't have to be saying it, everything. They don't have to be the source of all knowledge, but they have to be the person who ensures we move through from minute zero to minute 25 and get to our objective. Now, people like to know what the agenda is. What are we going to do in this meeting? That's great. Give them the agenda that we know that psychologically that commits people, they're on track, they've, they've bought in if they understand what the agenda is. But that process one like what you just described can be invisible. A good facilitator will invisibly move people from one activity to another, and then at the end, we've just magically landed on the outcome that we wanted. So, it's really important that all of us who run meet- meetings are aware of the responsibility we take into that to ensure that we're applying some facilitating thought, a, a process to it.
0: Absolutely. And the, the gorgeous thing about this is that you don't even have to be appointed the facilitator. Mm, yes. So so even if you're not the convener or the or the chair of the meeting, if it's starting to feel like it's one of those we're not going anywhere meetings, mm-hmm. you can simply Take start charge. by asking questions. Yeah. So you know, would anyone mind if I please just do a quick whip around the room on from our perspective? What do we think the number one thing is we need to focus on? Let's just do a quick check in, thirty seconds each. Go.
1: Yeah. Sure.
0: Start facilitating, you know. And I would actually discourage an announcement. I wouldn't say, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to facilitate." It would just be, I just simply start start asking questions and start to lead the conversation, and people will thank you Uh,
1: absolutely every single time. Absolutely right. That is a really good way to end, Donna. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I loved your book. I love the topic. It is one of those game changers. Something that can really have an enormous impact on organizations and teams and us as individuals. So thank you for writing it and thank you for coming on the Team Guru Podcast.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you.
1: And that was Donna McGeorge. I love the topic and I loved our chat. She's good and her message makes a lot of sense. It's impossible to ignore. There is just so much room for improvement in the way meetings are done in just about every organization I've ever worked in. And Donna's words of wisdom have given you everything you need to get started. Are you going to take on the challenge in your organization? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Donna on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire bat catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.